Welcome to Season 2 from A Lancashire Lass with me, Lucy Baxter. So I'm so excited to be joined by Alistair. I've got Alistair on the podcast in a more panel type discussion to chat about our views on life and we're going to be talking about church, worship music and things like that. Um, so yeah, welcome to the podcast Alistair, how are you doing this fine day? Thank you, uh, I'm glad that we have Monday off, the long weekend has been good and not so good to me, I've got my mock starting tomorrow in coming first year of college, so that's exciting, but you know, I've just been out in the garden with my mum. So as far as I'm concerned, the world is in the right place. Amazing. And um, so obviously I know you from church and you've recently been baptised. And mm-hmm. um, I just want to quickly touch on what you said in your sort of speech, if you will, where you were saying that you've been brought up going to church. You know, you're not a drug dealer or murderer turned Christian. You've... <laughs> you've um, it's kind of what I, you know, you can in quotation marks say a boring kind of Christian, Christian, yeah. journey, if you will. And and what were you kind of saying about that? Well, I've just, I, I jumped ahead of you. I've just pulled my testimony up and my kind of, the whole idea when I wrote my testimony was I wanted to dedicate it to the sort of unsung heroes of the church because often in the media, on the television, these sort of you you often see them often in church and not in church these videos of these often quite americanized or quite urban scenes of these you know terrible people who have done terrible things drug dealers criminals people like that from broken homes who have had just the biggest turnaround who've encountered god sin his face and um you know, as the benediction says, uh, uh, the peace unto him, that, that sort of massive turnaround and it's they brought themselves to church and have completely revolutionised themselves. That's great. I'm all for that. But that's not who I am. And I like to think that's not who the majority of people are. I was brought to church. I, I come from a very Christian family um, from both sides. We, My grandmother sadly passed away this last week, but it's given us such a nice... Uh, insight into their family life if we've been looking through old things and one thing that struck me was how faithful her family was you know she was one of six siblings and all of them would write letters to one another and they'd all be signed with god bless you know god love you you know her eldest brother was a was um, a pastor in church and so this has been something that's been in my life forever as far as i'm concerned and um i've just my mum brought me to church my whole life and she really i said i think my words were she taught me how to put faith into my life into the how I practice my life and then my dad taught me how to appreciate all of the theology and the um the sort of interesting historical baggage that goes along with it that is often really overlooked it's kind of boring and useless these days but actually in reality it's really important because how can we as Christians form a really strong base you know how can we go and live out what we supposedly believe if we don't even know what those beliefs are or where they come from yeah, I totally get that. And also how the, you know, parents who brought their kids to church are kind of bringing up the next generation, you said, didn't you? Bring mm-hmm. the next generation yeah. to church. And that's so important. That's, the church wouldn't exist. You know, we're quite lucky that we come to a church that um, 
in sort of the 1990s had a bit of a realization that we can't you know if we don't do something we don't change in some ways now i'd like to point a disclaimer as you'll find out later i don't necessarily approve of a lot of what the church did uh, in that period of time however it was it's incredibly important that they realized that actually we need to invest in the next generation and raise them up in church otherwise we're not going to have anything left in 40 50 years and so many parish churches around the country are only realizing that now when it, it's not necessarily too late but it's perhaps later than one might have hoped for yeah what were you alluding to in the 1990s then for people who might not know so our church had a fantastic new vicar come in um a brilliant man who who said um listen we've we've got to invest a bit in our church building in our church facilities and in our youth facilities so they spent a lot of money on the church building which is really important um i i'm a great believer in you know um rather than move to a new church building you love the one you're in because there's so much physical history of our faith in these buildings we're so lucky to have them so they did that and then they said right we also need to in in um invest in our youth programs we need to hire some specialized men and women to go out into the community to go out into the schools and to bring people to new youth groups we're going to set up to bring people into church you know simultaneously let's take the church out into the community but let's bring the community into church both of those things are really important and i think more recently there's been more of a push to let's go from the church to the community really important but we can't forget the second half let's bring the community back into church otherwise well it's no good church will be empty and with perhaps th that might be fueled slightly by the covid culture the idea that we can go on to zoom we can still meet and we can have church online yeah that's great but at the same time coming together sharing in a worship service sharing in holy communion the singing of hymns the singing of songs the playing of music the praying together the listening to a sermon being delivered in front of you they're all key elements that you don't get so much on zoom i don't think yeah and you were mentioning about like church buildings and i know you're a uh fan of an architectural church building have you any kind of favorite cathedrals or sort of church buildings in the area or or in the in the country in the area so um my dad's side of the family were brought up in a church in bickerstaff holy trinity and it's a beautiful little victorian church it's very ornate it's very sweet it's nestled in the trees the whole of the churchyard is planted in crocuses and daffodils it looks beautiful in the spring and it's it's a perfect example of how in those days the church was so well respected so well admired that people really invested the time the money the skills into creating these beautiful buildings um favorite cathedral i mean liverpool cathedral is brilliant because it's big and bigger is always better mm -hmm. uh it's quite a um it's perhaps not as or it is ornate but not in necessarily the way you might think of a little parish church it's ornate in that you can look anywhere and see detail but it's that detail on a huge scale so a lot of people see it's quite imposing and i totally get that it is a really a, quite a fortress of solitude but once you go inside you find it's a real community place um favorite cathedral in the country i've not actually been here but i have seen so much of it and i've got to go is eli cathedral uh because it's so incredible the octagonal tower um the ornate ceilings that they put the painting really painted really vividly and i'd love to go there and it really and that's a much older church but it nevertheless 
the, even hundreds of years ago, they were spending time considering how we're going to build this magnificent structure to try and bring heaven down to earth. That's what they were doing in those days. They wanted for the worshipper to go into this building completely detached from the rest of the world and to walk into the presence of God physically as well as spiritually. Yeah, I know there's a lot of new churches that are planted and they're in sort of schools and, and things until they find the building or build a building. Um, but I agree there's something quite special about going into a, a church building that's a, a church or a cathedral or, you know, that kind of structure. It feels very, um, very special. And like, you know, people now in the pandemic think, oh, you can, can do church everywhere, like you said, on Zoom. You can do it um, in the bath. You know, you can listen to a sermon here or there. Oh, you don't need to spend money on churches. You can spend that on charitable places. But it is, it is like a mosque, a synagogue, you know, all those different places. And it is a place of worship that's a holy, holy place, isn't it? It's the physical resemblance of the men and the women who went before us. And who the reason that churches feel so special because that they were built with God in mind. God was the sole focus. That's why so much time, effort and ultimately money was devoted to them. That's why they feel so special as places. And um, church plants and doing church everywhere are so, so important. They're vital. Um, but I think it's really important that once a church community becomes more established, that they invest in their building. And churches who are already in buildings that have been around for centuries invest back in their history. Simply Don't simply cast it aside because it'll teach you more than you could ever know. Uh, it, literally just the fabric of a building. You'll find things, you will learn things from the societies and the teachings of the day that will prove invaluable in the survival of a church. That's why these churches have been around for so long, because... The ideas that they were built upon are timeless. Mm. Yeah, and if if we carry on on that theme, so you know, back when the early church was set up, the music would be very different to what it is now in some in some senses. Um, you know, people who don't go to church think of organ and choir in the the choir attire. Um, some churches still do that you have some churches that have a band and drums some that have um electric guitars some that are just acoustic um how do you think it's going with with the worship and the evolution of it i don't think there's ever a right answer because everyone has personal taste and i certainly have personal tastes and strong ones at that um <laughs> i think both have their place we can't do without one or the other. I have always preferred traditional worship music. I'm learning to play the organ right now with the ultimate aim of becoming very good and starting a choir in our church because no choir currently exists. Um, we only have contemporary worship, really. We do have an organist, but bless his soul, he's getting old. And ultimately, my, my idea really is that beauty draws and so if you play a beautiful piece of music full of passion and soul, full of God, people will come regardless of what genre it is. And I think the thing that's special about traditional worship music is that actually there's a lot of music of that genre that people simply don't know exists. So my, one of my favourite organists is called Diane Bish. 
she was a prolific hymn arranger hymn writer organist concert organist she had a she still has a television program she's 80 now but it's been going for 40 years and it still draws big crowds in america and um she was so, she wasn't liked really in by many people because she gave hymns and the organ a bit of zest a bit of pizzazz really not offensively so but she gave it a bit of a kick up the backside and i think that's perhaps what traditional worship maybe needs in that you need to do a bit of the really old-fashioned stuff but you also need to introduce some newer elements and I think there's a marriage there that's perfect. There's a church I follow really closely in America where Diane was organist called Coral Ridge Presbyterian in Fort Lauderdale. And they, in my opinion, have got the balance exactly right. They have a huge organ. They Sadly, the choir isn't as big as it used to be. It's of about 60, whereas it used to be more than 100. But nevertheless, it's incredibly, there's nothing more impressive than hearing the organ just explode into life and you see the choir all at the back in what's called the narthex at the base of the tower at the back of the church and then they just burst forward down the, at the three aisles in pairs and you know charging towards the front and then they'll take their seats and then often at the end of a hymn there'll be a key change so it'll be higher and louder everyone will open up the sopranos at the top of the choir will just explode into noise and that is the coming of God into the room that I don't think you get with contemporary worship music. And to add to that, often, if you actually read some hymns, there are mini sermons in five stanzas. They, the theology is rock, rock solid, which it's much more, um, it looks outwards towards God. Whereas nowadays, more contemporary worship looks inwards towards yourself, inward spirituality, rather than extra spirituality towards God. Um, that's very true yeah I didn't think yeah. about that in terms of the inwards and outwards like um oh there was a song the other day and it's you know it's like god I look to you I won't be overwhelmed mm. yeah that's given me food for thought on that and also <laughs> you need to you need young people to learn to play the organ because it's fair to say most organists are old or dead and so yep. you, you need you need them to be able people to learn how to play them because they're like I'm not saying guitars are easy to play but if you know where your fingers are and you can do a few chords you can kind of strum along can't you but playing the organs a whole different like kettle of fish I'm going to offend so many people there (laughs) (laughs) but do you know what I mean yes you are 100% correct I am I'm actually a violinist by trade I'm a grade 10 violinist and I came looking at the organ and thought this is going to be tricky but I think it's manageable um, I, I, was, I wasn't quite wrong, but I wasn't right either. Um, the organ requires coordination above all else. The violin requires technique above all else, which the organ still does, but it's the coordination that your brain has to get because, and every organ's different as well. Every single organ in the world is completely unique because they're all custom made. They've all got custom sounds. Some have got, they're called stops, sounds on an organ. You can have, our organ at church has 20. You can have 200 um, they're often the size of buildings. I know that our organ, the tallest pipes in it are 16 feet tall and play sounds so deep you don't hear them, you feel them. And in doing that, you've got to manage multiple keyboards, keyboard for your feet, something called a swell pedal, which means you can make the organ play louder and quieter. You've got stop tabs all around you that you've got to pull out and push in. Things called pistons underneath that you've got to press to make things happen. There is so much going on. You've got to do it all at the same time, seamlessly, so that nobody knows that you're actually doing all of that. Wow. So literally like a swan 
in the water with your legs frantically swimming what's your kind of go-to hymn then that you can play at the moment I can play at the moment um my favorite one of my favorite hymns is all creatures of our god and king I found an arrangement of it that I love and I thought I'm going to play it and this is it was one of Diane Bish's arrangements and I'd only ever heard it played played incredibly slowly and I thought <laughs> that's just really boring and then I heard this arrangement of Diane's that just tore through it at three times the speed and it was so exciting and interesting you hear this quite huge choir she's with and I thought that's amazing that's that was my moment where I was like I need to learn to play this instrument I need to learn to do this because then that could just inspire so many people as it inspired me that's what I like to think anyway yeah definitely it's I think it's um just like when I said hymn though as well like hymns versus worship songs now even that kind of um language has changed hasn't it in a lot of people will hear the word hymn and think oh dear you know no thank you I'm, I'm they're already out before you even got the foot through the door you know it's a case of you know, um shutting the stable door after the pony's bolted they're not interested already because him that sounds a bit much but I don't know there's there's some kind of I think if one or two churches start introducing more interesting works upon their hymns because ultimately the modern church, i.e. Church of England, have simply abandoned, in some, in, in parish churches in particular, where they've seen modern worship music work and they think, right, we'll pull all of the traditional worship music out and it can, you know, be faded out. I know in our church that our organist is sort of left to do his own thing and that's pretty much it. Whereas we have a band that's looked over by lots of people, lots of efforts put into it, blah, blah, blah. Whereas it's one man versus a whole team of people. Well, of course, you're not going to get the same level of product come out of it, no matter how hard either of you work. You know, there's always going to be one more effort into one than the other. So what do you think needs to happen in terms of moving forward? Do you think it's going to go even more contemporary? Or do you think... I don't know, the organ is going to be left behind and it's just going to be like a pretty architectural part of a building. It, but it, that's already happened in lots of cases, which is a shame. But I personally think that there's plenty of room for revival. I mean, the organ has gone out of fashion hundreds of years before. It's, it, it came back into fashion in this sort of from the 50s to the 80s into the 90s a bit and now it's really gone out of fashion again things come and go and obviously I've got total faith ultimately organs are built to last the one in our church is over 100 years old and it plays right as rain uh, every single Sunday and I think what the church needs is a group is people like me not to sound self-righteous but people like me to see to hear a message from God to think right this is what I'm gonna you know grab you by the scruff of the neck here's what you're gonna go out and do and just to be inspired and um and I think in reality, one person, one man or woman can have an effect on thousands of people. Because if you were to start maybe a church concert series, you get 50 people going, they hear about it, they tell other people. Then more and more people come, you get hundreds of people come. Then you start to create a fund. Then you raise funds for the organ. Then you could build a new one if you've got a lot of money. Then you'd have something even more impressive that would wow even more people. And so the cycle continues. And that's one church. Mm, yeah no it does sound interesting what about like music in society as well then music in society reflects sort of what the church has done ultimately contemporary I'm going to upset a few people here contemporary worship is much more dumbed down than traditional worship music that's why people like it more because they don't have to think 
that, that's it. They can spend more time being spiritual with God, more time communicating with God and simply sort of being in the music rather than, oh my goodness, it's a hymn book, I've got to read it. Look at all of those these and thous and all that. I can't do that. Whereas in, in contemporary worship music, you can simply be in the moment a bit more. I don't necessarily think that's true, but I think that's what people think is true. Um, and I think that sort of same change is reflected in society. You know, broad society used to listen to Bach's sonatas and Handel's Messiah and this, that and the other. And nowadays people listen to, oh, I, I don't even know, Stormzy. Yeah. <laughs> I might be 17, but I don't know what's going on. I, you know, I can't stand most modern music because it's all so boring. It's so repetitive. There's no depth to any of it. There's no meaning. It's, it's, it's full of the most foul language and foul imagery. And that just kind of represents society going into the gutter. You know, is this what we're bothered about? You know, some, some woman has had an affair and now a man's gonna go and rap about it and use the F word about 50 times. Really? <laughs> is this the best we can do? I know what you mean. I think that um, the issue, like when I was nine or like six, and there'd be a song and if it had like hell in it like they said what the hell it would be bleeped out or it would be you know it would like I think there's an Avril Lavigne song and it's like a girlfriend that song and mm. and it was bleeped out on the radio and then now it's like there's a particular song by H and it's like he says something and the the bleeped out is like I'm a I mean, and it, uh, like that's there's how left. there's nothing left of the song and it's like every every single other word has to be has to be bleeped out but equally the word like hell and other words are now like on the radio and radio presenters use them and do you know there was a part when it was the pandemic though that I thought people would go back to being kind and you know like we're all so together at the start of the pandemic do you, clapping on a Thursday and quizzing and do you know what I mean I thought oh yeah we're in it together and I thought that after we'd, we'd still like that but everyone's just gone egotistically crazy again it would seem so it, it, the, the bit of the pandemic particularly around sort of ve day so that first way back when in 2020 when the sun started to come out it seemed to bring out that blitz spirit again the british people seemed to rally together we had very quaint activities and garden parties and quizzes and i did a bingo on my street and everybody came and it's brilliant and then you know more and more lockdowns came and went and I think the public simply just started to sour because it's like you know this is happening again and again and again mm. um and I was thinking about you know when you were talking about politics and that and obviously you can't have an opinion it feels like these days without being wrong or right you know if you have if I had an opinion let's say I'm just thinking about something that's um not controversial Right, say oh, my favourite My favorite colour was, like, brown. That's a, that's a oh. non-controversial colour. And say your favourite <laughs> colour was... Oh, well, let's go with green. And how do you think the green feels, that your favourite colour is brown? And what about blue, who's involved in this conversation? We need to see more of blue, because he's not well enough represented. So, exactly. But what I'm saying is, so you... Now I feel like I couldn't just be like, oh, my favourite colour is brown. Yours is green. Let's be friends. It would be, no, you're brown. I'm not being friends. No, they, people don't. People seem to not be able to just 
agree to disagree nowadays and people seem to be too offended by opposing opinions that aren't meant to offend yeah people are i i don't know why this happened i don't know how it happened i don't think i was alive for when this sort of thing started to break a break away but I, i you're absolutely right in that nowadays people can't be friends and have political opinions i remember we had a debate club at my school and I stupidly thought it'd be a good idea to go along and I found it was me versus 16 people and so I thought okay that's fine I felt a bit like um felt a bit like Nigel Farage on debate on question time or something but nevertheless I thought here we go I'm gonna grit my teeth and bear it I can't remember what the, the question the motion was but you know I was I was fighting on against what I thought was correct and I knew something had gone awry when I was talking and then all of the sudden there were three teachers in the room and they were just sort of stood minding their own business and they all went and stood with all the other kids and started arguing against me and I was like oh hang on hang on a second here what's changed here I don't it was nothing controversial I in fact it mm, I really can't remember but it was nothing outrageous it wasn't one of the great political strifes of the day it was literally a mundane question about society that I felt needed to answer you know it wasn't anything like abortion or Brexit or yeah no it was meaningless but yeah I was being like shouted down and I always I tried to remain you know very mature you know I always think I hate it when you see people let their emotions take over in a debate and let and that's what had happened they'd all gone you know um what's what's the phrase it's in the red mist and they were they were going ham for it and just ignoring the blatant facts and so I ended up repeating the same stat five or six times and they were just going wrong. That cannot be right. I refuse. So I said, that's correct. And it's just like, well, that's your problem, not mine. Yeah. yeah. But also the, the, the opinions seem further and further apart. Like say for, in, say, say for instance, meat eating versus vegan. And then um, it just seems to be, the opinion seems to be further and further polar opposites and like further and further away. Like, I don't know people people saying veganism is better for the environment when they when they eat tofu which is in rainforests versus like farmers and people who eat cows that are locally produced mm. that don't have carbon you know miles mm-hmm. and that debate kind of thing and and both can do it for their own you know that's fine but then being attacking the others because they have a different thing is is kind of where we've we've gone wrong as a as a, a society so Kind of carrying on the church theme with with politics, how, you know, I'm sure there's a bit in the Bible, isn't it, where it's like, don't preach politics, don't get involved with that, just preach about God. Obviously, church leaders and churches do preach politics. What what do you take of that? Um, hmm. there's, a, there's a part of me, there's quite a large part, well, no, the majority of me, thinks that it's really the church has no place in any well the whole idea of a moral stance and a political stance are often two completely different things and yet for some reason the church seems to think they're the same um so for example we in church spent a lot of time praying for ukraine there was a big ukrainian flag put up because of what's been going on in that part of the world okay i don't necessarily have an issue with that but my issue became was it became very apparent nobody was praying for the people of Russia who have been completely demonised for, in my opinion, no reason, because it's their leaders who are picking fights, and yet the people of Russia have been completely slandered and shafted by, you know, big tech and these big government 
and sorry, the big corporations, you know, big pharma who are stopping, you know, I know you're very involved with cystic fibrosis and the people in Russia now can't get cystic fibrosis medication for something that's no fault of their own, you know. So I always, I, when I said prayers in church about a month or two ago, I made sure to include both sides because both sides need prayer, admittedly perhaps for different things, but both sides still need prayer and both still need attention because ultimately neither side is better than the other in a war. Um, perhaps that's not always true, but I think um, as religious people, we can't pick sides. That's what, who are we to judge? That's not our job. That's our God's job. Yeah. And I think a lot of people forget, don't they? To not that they're yeah. not, and you know, sometimes Christian people are the worst in terms of, of judging and, and of, um, oh, well, you do this, you drink alcohol, you go out partying or, oh dear, you, you don't do that. You, you, you make money and have a nice car and don't give to charity and people don't know what people do and people are too quick to judge. Um, but yeah, the, the political preaching is a difficult one. And it's an issue when oftentimes a lot of it comes from the same side. I remember being on our church computer and finding, you know, a, a big PowerPoint that I, some, I've forgotten which charity had done it. It was all about climate change and it was all about how churches can um, mitigate their issues. And I, I'm on PCC and we were looking at um, new boiler options, and which are very expensive. And churches are not wealthy, despite what people may think. Churches have not got a lot of money from parish to parish level. And we were looking at replacing the boiler, which was a huge amount of money. And then they were also introducing a more eco-friendly option that was twice the price. And people were considering it. And I was just sat there thinking, really? But, you know, you, you're, you know, they're citing, oh, we need to combat climate change. You heard about what the UN's IPCC have been saying. And it's like, you're bringing this politically charged motive into a church that can't afford to finance it. You know, really? You know, I don't think that's the right thing to do. And... You, you know, I remember in a sermon, some, you know, someone mentioned Greta Thunberg and said how she was, you know, fantastic and blah, blah, blah. You know, no, that's not the, that's not the correct place for that at all. You know, no, I, I don't want to hear about, I don't want you to be preaching about Greta Thunberg and her righteous strike. No, I don't. Um, <laughs> you know, say, come and take a seat in our, your, everybody's bums are welcome on our pews. Um, and all we ask is that you, you be accommodating. Yeah. Yeah, um, I just thought finally you spoke about Simon Glynn in the testimony and I just wanted I did. you to share how amazing Simon was to you because he was amazing, um, yeah. He was a great man and um, he was exactly what I'm talking about in that he was the, he knew exactly how to marry the traditional theology, the liturgy of the word and the more contemporary modern slant into this charismatic, fiery, interesting preacher. You know, we often sit at church and forget church sermons are meant to be interesting, long, fiery, in-depth, difficult. We go for a more simple, shorter, watered-down message. Simon would never have done that, and that's why I respected him so much. Uh, Claire, it, his, uh, his wife, came up to me and said, "I this I, after I'd preached, on, um, I forgot what I preached on, the love of enemies. And she said to me, you know, that was a, such a hard sermon, but that's what made it so good. And Simon would have loved it because it was challenging. People sat there wriggling in their seats thinking, ooh, you know, there was a level of self-accountability. And she said, I love that. 
and he was just such a charismatic and interesting man. He had so many interesting beliefs and he could have he could have taught a park bench the theology surrounding um, you know, the liturgy of the word in about five minutes and he would have taught it to stand up and preach it to the world. He, he was, uh, he really was a fantastic preacher and a fantastic church leader. He was strong when he needed to be, he knew when he needed to step back. And that's really all the qualities we can ask for in a church leader. Yeah, and he he was the one who told me that it's not a bad thing to talk a lot, that you can use it in, in, and it's a gift. So so I loved him, I love him for that way. Um, well, I just want to say thank you for coming on the podcast. Obviously, all your opinions and sort of talking about the future of the church and everything, it's been really, really interesting. And yeah, glad we had the chat, Alistair. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure and a joy. And I think it's so nice to have this forum where free speech reigns. We can talk about what we want. And that's so important in our society. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. To keep up to date with all things from a Lancashire Lass, Follow on Facebook and Instagram at from a Lancashire Lass.